Well, good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. Welcome back. Did you guys have a good break? Good, good. This is the first chapel for our winter trimester, so let's welcome it. Our winter trimester, amen. There's some of you that have arrived this over the break, and this is your first chapel, your first chapel here. Anybody? Let's welcome them. We want to welcome you. It is our privilege this evening to have one of our local pastor. He's a local Nazarene pastor, um, graduated from Nazarene Bible College, and also went on to seminary, and he serves in the Church of the Nazarene. And let's welcome Reverend Zell Woodworth. He's pastor at Eastboro Church of Nazarene, my pastor, so we'd like to welcome him. He's going to help us hear from the word of the Lord. Let us all stand this evening. We're focusing this year on trust. And last trimester we uh, focused on Proverbs chapter 3. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And this trimester, we'll continue our theme in trust. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Say to our theme together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Let us pray that this evening. God, we want to trust you with all of our hearts. We acknowledge that all that we are, all that we have and all that we pursue to be, God, and all of existence comes from you. Help us as we continue in this life journey, as we continue to trust in you. Help us to be the church that you want us to be. Not the church that we want to be, but the church that you want us to be, God give you all of our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, Chaplain. I appreciate him more than you will ever realize. And for those of you that are brand new Bible college students, I can guarantee you it'll only get better after tonight. We pulled up here, and there were three cars out here in the parking lot. Reminded me of 40 years ago in our first church. We had three cars in the parking lot, and two of them were ours. And so uh, you've got a lot to look forward to with that, that first church. We lived in the Sundays, two Sundays row classrooms and the fellowship hall of that first church. And so we would pull our cars from around the back of the church to the front of the church so the people would think there was church. And that's, that's how we did it 40 years ago. I want to take you for a few minutes to 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bibles with you. 1 Thessalonians, and I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the model for today's church, what I believe a church ought to be like in this 21st century. 1 Thessalonians, first chapter, beginning in the second verse. Stand with me, would you please? I like to stand when we read the word. It gives honor to it. Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, and we find these words. 
We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work that was produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. You know how he lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Acacia, where your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Pray with me, would you? Our gracious Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the anointing that you put upon us and upon the word. I pray that tonight what we hear might be the words of Christ. May they be honest and true. Help us, Lord, to sense your presence in the word. And we'll give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All of us have a different idea of what church is really like. Some of you came from good, healthy, strong churches to move out here to the Bible College. Others of you have found strong, healthy churches here in Colorado Springs. And you felt like maybe you would duplicate them when you get out in the ministry. If you're wise, you'll take a combination of both and put them together. Little Johnny knew what a church was. Johnny was tired and twitching in church one Sunday, and he'd had about all he could handle. And he looks over to his mom and says, in what was supposed to be a whisper, but turned out to be a loud noise, he said, Mom, if we pay him now, will he let us go? <laughs> Maybe that's what church is for you. I don't know. I heard about, the, heard about the pastor who says we want to have a board meeting right after church. Usually when they say something like that, that means the pastor's going to resign or re retire or leave or something like that. And so he hurried back to the room where the board meeting was going to be, and a man was standing there, and he wasn't the board member. And he said, Johnny, I don't understand why you're here. You're not a board member. Why are, you, why are you coming back here to this meeting? And he says, if there's anybody in this church more bored than I am, I want to meet them. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you came from churches like that, but I've preached at some of those kind of, kind of churches. Several years ago, I had the privilege of being in Willow Creek Community Church in Barrington, Illinois, it's one of the largest churches in, in the United States. At that time, it was running about 17,000 on a Sunday morning services. Willow Creek, when I was there, had just finished up a survey of the community, tried to figure out why people didn't go to church, why they, they ditched out on Sunday mornings, and they came up with five reasons. The church is boring. The church is irrelevant. The church is always asking for money. The church is too busy and I'm too busy, and I just feel awkward at church. And I want to talk to you about that for about three minutes, and then we'll get into the message a little bit. I've been in churches that are boring. I don't like them. They make me sad. They make me mad. They make me want to go someplace else. And I believe as a pastor and as a layman, it's our responsibility that a church never gets boring. I don't believe in carnivals in a church. I don't believe there ought to be a circus, and I don't believe you ought to roll up the carpet and turn it into a dance hall, but I don't believe it has to be boring. 
They also said the church was irrelevant, and so we don't go to church. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is not just about facts. It's about living a life. It's about a lifestyle. It's about who you are and where you are and where you're going. They also said that they're asking for money all the time. I was in Maui here about 10 years ago, and we stopped into a church. It was not a Nazarene church. It was a large church, and we sat there for in an hour-and-a-half service. During that hour-and-a-half service, they took up five offerings. Two of those offerings were marches to the front so you could put your money on the altar. Don't do that. Um, it just doesn't work very well. You won't last very long. I've, I've seen people who say I'm too busy. I've heard people say I'm too busy to go to church. Well, all I know is you'll be too, you won't be too busy when it's time to die. And you better wake up and use the time that God's given you correctly. And then finally, I've heard people say that I, I don't go to church because I feel awkward at church. I feel awkward every time I get in this pulpit. And I've been doing it for 40 years. I've been doing it longer than I've been. I've been doing it as a pastor for 40 years. When I first started the ministry, I thought it was my job to get the people all straightened out. You think that way after you've got your degrees and your, and your first little church. And I didn't beat the people. I don't believe in beating sheep. But I probably laid it on a little bit heavy. I've come to learn that it's not my job to beat. It's not my job to lay it on heavy. It's my job to bless the people. Life is rough and life is tough, and they don't need to come to church and hear a pastor beat them up. A long time ago, I made up my mind I wanted to be part of a construction crew and not a destruction crew. And pastors need to look at it that way once in a while. Get up there and build people up a little bit. It'll, it'll help them once in a while. After Willow Creek found out there are five reasons for not going to church, they started to develop reasons to go to church. Somewhere along the line in the last 10 years, I, I've lost those sermon notes that, that that pastor gave a long time ago, but I came across in the book of Thessalonians four reasons for going to church, and I want to give them to you. First of all, the church must be a gospel testimony, a center of gospel testimony. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't care what anybody else tells you in the whole wide world. The primary reason for a church is still to proclaim the word of God, whether it's done through testimony by laymen or preachers from a pulpit. That's the primary reason for the, for the church. Listen to what Paul wrote. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Acacia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. There was a preacher by the name of Ralph Orban. Ralph Orban was, was one of those kind of preachers who didn't write his sermon he expected God to fill his mouth. You've, you've seen him. He used to have a man out here at Bible College who was a pastor at the time when I was in Bible College. And he never wrote his sermons till 4 o'clock on Sunday morning. And I asked him, Bob, why in the world do you wait till 4 o'clock on Sunday morning? He says, well, I don't want, to, want Satan to know what I'm going to preach about. <clears throat> I heard about this preacher who, who never never wrote a sermon, he would go into the pulpit and 
beg and plead with God, give me a message, give me a message, please give me a message. Wanted to be fresh, wanted to be up to date. And one day in a booming voice while the preacher was waiting and begging and pleading, he heard this voice and it said, Ralph, here's my message. You're just plain lazy. Preachers ought to be preaching and proclaiming the word of God. And they ought to do it correctly. And they ought to do it right. Matthew, the 28th chapter says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Harold St. John said, The chief business of every Christian in the world today is to evangelize. No consideration of age or sex or poverty or rank allows you to escape. The one controlling thing that lies before you is that your business in the world is to preach the gospel to every creature. If you bear the name of Christ at all, preach the word. The funny thing about that passage of scripture, it wasn't just to preachers. I have an elderly man in my church. He sits on the front row. He gets so excited he doesn't know where he's at sometimes. His name is Wayne. Wayne has been kicked out of more coffee shops than maybe you've been kicked out of buildings in your whole life. He's always proclaiming the name of Jesus. And he does it with love. And he does it with grace. Luke said, Luke wrote, Jesus said of himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Peter wrote, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I wish I could just sit in a church and all the people would flock in. It doesn't work that way. Most of the seekers are out there and you've got to go get them. I believe that it has to be a center of gospel testimony where men and women, ministers and laymen, all will all have a word prepared when they meet people. The second thing I found out in this passage of scripture, it ought to be a nursery for spiritual babes. Listen to this. First Thessalonians, the second chapter, the seventh verse. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you. Like a mother caring for her little children, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you and not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you have become so dear to us. Every once in a while in our church, we'll have a baby that'll cry and a mother will come up and apologize. And I remember the story several years ago of a baby crying without stopping during the first 15 minutes of the preacher's sermon. Finally, the mother got up and started to shake the baby a little bit and walk out of the church service and the minister from the pulpit said there's no need for you to leave your precious baby isn't disturbing me well she said he's crying because you're disturbing him <laughs> I believe I believe the church ought to be a nursery for spiritual babes I've known immature 60 year old people and I've known immature 50-year-old pastors. And you have to take them all with just a little bit of a grain of salt. Paul says, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. Somebody told me a long time ago, the job of a preacher is to comfort the afflict, afflicted and afflict the comfortable. 
Somebody else said, shake the people in, shake them up, and shake them out. I don't believe either one of those are correct. I believe it's your job to bless and to love and to nurture and to build them up. That's what your job is. A few years ago, I heard of a pastor. I know the pastor very well. I heard of a pastor and was in a board meeting, and something went wrong in the board meeting, and the pastor blew a gasket and tossed his board notebook at a layman and said, you want to run the board, you run the board. I never found out what they did with that pastor. I don't know if they beat, beat, beat him or burped him. But that's about as immature as you can get. It's a nursery for spiritual babes. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. The third thing that I think that I can find for you in Thessalonians is not only these first two, but it must be a church full of love. Two of the first three churches that Sheridan and I pastored way back when we were starting had church splits. They had a center aisle. People who liked the former pastor sat on one side and the ones who didn't on the other side. They never went across the aisle to shake hands. I went there for an interview and they were having a work day. On that work day, two men showed up, a pastor and the man that he despised. One painted on one side of the church and the other painted on the other side of the church. The Bible says to me that a church ought to be full of love. Listen to what Paul writes to the Thessalonica church. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. I'm one of those kind of guys that likes to read about surveys and polls. Barna and Gallup and all of the rest of them. I come across one the other day. It goes like this, an exhaustive study shows that no woman has ever shot her husband while he was doing the dishes. I think there's a message there. <laughs> the problem with too many of us is we're awful selfish and loves way too much work. And yet Paul says, make, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. When you begin to practice love in a church, it not only changes the person you're sharing it with, but most important, it changes you. We had a lady in my church, oh, 20 years ago. Her name was Arlene Williams. Arlene Kellner, I'm sorry, Arlene Kellner. She was one of those huggers. You know, I don't know if you're a hugger or not, but this lady would see you and run across the church and hug on you. That, it was all right when she did it, but when her husband started hugging on me, that had to stop. <laughs> but you know, it got to the place where I looked forward to seeing Arlene. People who love you really make a difference in your life. Dr. M. Harold Daniels was a district superintendent of when I came to Colorado 40 years ago. I met him in his office. His office was in his house at that time. 
You come in, I went in and I says, uh, Doctor, I'm here. He'd offered me a church and gave me all of these wonderful things about the church. And uh, he says, Zell, don't go up there and do anything but love the people. Just love the people. Don't change anything. Don't do anything different for six months. Just love the people. Some of the wisest words I ever received from a district superintendent. And one more thing. If you're going to have a good church, I believe that Paul would say it's got to be a school for spiritual development. Your people need to learn the word, and they need to learn it from you. Whether you're a layman teaching a Sunday school class or whether you're a pastor behind the pulpit. The Bible says these words, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers through Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. One of the things that you're going to find when you leave college here with that diploma, that you don't have all the answers. You wish you did, but you won't. But it's amazing how God works in the stillness of the night and whispers once in a while a correct answer and helps you get out of a mess. Life is a learning process. I try my very best to walk out of the pulpit thinking my people have learned something today. Paul wrote to the Thessalonican church, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. He wrote to his preacher boy Timothy, and he said, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're getting into a lot of churches anymore that don't have Sunday school, or they don't have Sunday night services, or they don't have Bible studies, they don't have small groups, they just have a Sunday morning service, and that's it. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that's terribly wrong. Our third church that we went to was running about 40 more in Sunday school than they were in church. About the uh, time that Sunday school bell would ring, about 40 people would walk out the door. I couldn't figure it out till I realized that they didn't like the idea of somebody just telling them what to do. They liked the idea of discussing what they could do. Sunday school and Bible study is extremely important. We learn from each other. We learn from each other. When I came to East Pearl 27 years ago, a professor there was upset with me right off the bat because I didn't preach out of the King James Version. And that's all right. He was wrong, I was right, but that's okay. <laughs> he would take my sermons back to his secretary here at the college, and the secretary would type it up for him, and then he would go through with his red pen and mark them up for him. And then he'd bring them to me the following Sunday. He said, I thought I'd help you out a little bit. I learned something from him. I learned how to be humble. I learned how to take advice. Just one more thought. Time is gone, but one more thought. Someone will said what power the church would be if all the sleeping folk would wake up, if all the lukewarm folk would fire up, if all the dishonest folk would confess up,
all the disgruntled folk would sweeten up. If all the discouraged folk would cheer up. If all the estranged folk would make up. If all the gossipers would shut up. If all the true soldiers would stand up. If all the church members would pray up. And if all that are in debt would pay up. God has placed upon your heart a very unique and a very special call. It's your job to be a center of testimony. It's your job to love the flock. It's your job to be a nursery for babies, even if they're 50 or 60 years of age. His name was Percy Musgrave. I'll tell you about him. I was about 35 years of age, and Percy was about 70. Percy would meet me for coffee down at the coffee shop. All he would ever talk about is machine gunning down this president or that judge or this person or that person or whatever it be. He was a racist. He was very bigoted. And he was very, very immature. His wife taught a Sunday school class in the church and was one of the sweetest ladies in the whole wide world. I said to God one day, God, if Percy can find you, anybody can find you. It wasn't until after I left, after years of working with Percy, that he came to know the Lord at about 80 years of age. Just love him a lot. Recognize the fact that your job is to love the people. Let me pray with you. Our gracious Father, I thank you for this time together. May the words that you've given us be used for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you very much. Man, go in his peace.